Amen. So what's the deal with Peter being naked? I mean, I understand. Not exactly like the most like theological weighty question to ask first. But if you didn't hear that, you weren't paying enough attention, right? You weren't like, man, it almost feels like too much. Like, I don't, do I really need to know that Peter's naked here? And it's an interesting word, actually, in the Greek text itself. The word is here, gymnos. And this word in general doesn't necessarily mean that, like, Peter felt like the best way to catch fish was in the buff, but means that he probably had loose-fitting clothing. He probably had a shirt on, a tunic. You know, I've done a bunch of work now in the yard uh, this weekend. I don't wear my dress shirt and my khakis. And my dockers, like, I put on, like, actual work clothes, right? Not just, not necessarily naked, but, you know, work clothes. But still, if you've all read the Gospel of John, you know, John has a way with words. It's kind of his thing. Think about the whole, in the beginning was God, and the word was with God, right? This guy knows what he's doing. So you got to wonder here, what is this about anyway? Why do we need to know that Peter is naked? If we go back and we remember the last few weeks for Peter, if you remember my Easter sermon, I mentioned, you know, Jesus is wonderful, but this year it seemed to really strike me some of the other characters that were surrounding Jesus in Holy Week. And so Peter in particular has been somebody that I've continued to really pay a lot of attention to over the last few weeks. And he's had a rough go of it. Again, remember, on Monday, Thursday, he wouldn't let Jesus do what Jesus needed to do to wash his feet. He refused in all sorts of ways. And then on Good Friday, as we hear the Passion narrative, we hear Peter deny Jesus not once, but twice, three times. And then, of course, Peter goes to the tomb, obviously in great distress, and then suddenly realizes that Jesus is alive, but then doesn't see him again. Kind of comes and goes and comes and goes. And it's not a far stretch, I imagine, that here a few weeks later, seeing Jesus and then Jesus disappearing, seeing Jesus and then Jesus disappearing, that Peter's still going through a lot. Peter is human after all. While history changes a lot of things, I imagine that the emotions you and I feel are fairly similar to the emotions that our friends in the Bible may have felt. But as any of us who have ever had to deal with uh, folks who are grieving, as a pastor, oftentimes I walk with people after somebody has passed, one of the things that I often tell folks, that even in the midst of the emptiness, even in the midst of the grief, sometimes the best thing to do is to just try to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Sometimes it doesn't always feel good, but you know if you can get to the store. Maybe the only thing you do that day is you get out of bed and you take a shower. Right? But you do that. You try to keep walking steadily. And so we can imagine that Peter's still racked with all of the emotions of guilt and shame and sorrow and pain and grief. Well, at this point, he may just be trying to get back to the rhythm of life. 
It seems like he's not the only one at this point, right? We hear about multiple disciples who are now back at the sea and doing what they are good at. Well, apparently not, at least at the beginning, right? What they know is the fish. And in this brilliant callback, I think, John is so smart about this, Jesus once again calls out and says, you know, if you put the nets on the other side, guys, you're going to catch a lot of fish. Well, we've heard that once already. Jesus once again makes the nets full. And this is a reminder to John, who really loves to brag about himself throughout the whole Gospel of John. But a reminder to all the disciples of who they were actually talking to once again. And it's so fascinating what Peter's next move here is, right? He wants to see Jesus, that much is clear, but first he puts clothes back on again. That seems odd, too. We hear that. If we realize that Peter's not necessarily fully naked, but he's got a tunic on, and, you know, but John invites us to remember that he apparently gets himself all put together before he goes sprinting out to go see Jesus. Why? I mean, listen, if Jesus showed up here today and I was like in the shower, I might toss a towel on, but you know, I'm going to run as quickly as I can to meet Jesus. The question that continued to strike me then is what if this really had nothing to do with clothing at all? but might have been about his heart. Because what would any of us do when faced with the things we struggle with and the things we know that we're hurt by through what happens in our world suddenly being brought back right to the fore by the object that is the thing that we're most frustrated about? If I denied Jesus three times when he was dying, it would be really tough to see him again resurrected. I might feel a little scared. And you know what I might be apt to do? I might be apt to shield all of that vulnerability right then and there. Because I'm not sure that if I saw Jesus again, the first thing I'd want to do is to pretend I'm all, or to actually show that I'm upset or hurt or scared or in pain. I might want to just put on a couple extra layers of hide my vulnerability. Because friends, it is so hard to be exposed in our grief and to be exposed in our pain. But as the text goes along, we see that Jesus has no need of shaming, has no need of vengeance. Instead, do you see what they do? They first spend time together. Before this deep conversation Jesus has with Peter, they just hang out. They're a community again. Jesus is like, I've got the fish and bread going, guys. Bring a couple others. Not my idea of a great breakfast, but you know what? I didn't live in that time. I'm sure that they didn't sit there in stunned silence together. Not when you've been friends and compatriots for three years. You're going to tell stories again. 
you're going to catch up. Do you remember that one time, Jesus, we were eating something like this, and you just multiplied the bejesus out of it. I don't know if they'd say bejesus. <laughs> but you kept multiplying, multiplying, and feeding, and feeding, and Jesus like, yeah, I remember that. I did that. And they giggled together, right? And they caught up. But Jesus eventually gets to the heart of things, which is something that Jesus always does. He asks the question, Peter, do you love me? Now, the first and second time, it seems very, you know, per, you know performative, back and forth, easy going. Like, yeah, Jesus, you, you know, I love you more than the disciples. Yeah, Jesus, I, you know I love you. But that third time seems different, doesn't it? The Greek says that Peter is hurt, and the word that's used here is a unique combination. You know, when you feel something in your heart, this combination of anger and sadness and disappointment all together. And it reminds me of this really significant scene in the movie Goodwill Hunting. Do y'all remember that movie? It's about Will Hunting, who is this. He's working as a janitor at a college, and he's had a rough life, but come to discover that he's brilliant. He's a math genius. Matt Damon's character, Will Hunting, works with Robin Williams as a therapist as a condition to not go to jail after he assaults a police officer. And there's a scene partway through the movie where it's revealed to Robin Williams' character that Matt Damon's character had a really rough childhood, had a series of abusive things happen to him. Robin Williams takes the manila folder where all of these cases are in, he tosses it onto a table, he says, well, I want you to know this is not your fault. And Matt Damon does a brilliant job. I mean, he says, yeah, I know. Robin Williams' character says it again. It's not your fault. A couple times they go back and forth until finally something breaks in Will Hunting. And he says, don't mess with me. And as Sean, Robin Williams' character, continues to say, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, eventually Will Hunting embraces the therapist. Because now, maybe, all of the things that were covering Will Hunting might have been broken through. It would seem that for Peter and Jesus, that finally Peter is truly open. That if that pain finally resonates, do you love me? Do you love me? That finally it struck him. And Jesus' response is the same each time. Feed my sheep. Do the thing that I always knew that you could do. The thing that you've always been called to do. The thing that made you who you were when I found you three years ago. 
You know, while the sermon is titled Imperfection Welcome, I think it could just as easily be called Vulnerability Welcome. For the Easter moment to be a movement, which is the series that we're talking about, those who follow and make it needed, make it needed to take heart that Jesus was there for restoration and healing, not just simply holding on to what they believed separated them and used it as a shield or a stable comfort. Friends, in order to take this from just a moment when Jesus is resurrected, at some point, we need not hear the voice of Jesus saying, you've done something wrong. We don't have to cover ourselves with layers of every single time we've heard the stories that we've not done enough, we've not been enough, but instead, to hear Jesus' voice saying once again, you are called. You are who you're supposed to be. Now listen, this is something that's admittedly hard for us to do, both personally and corporately. Over the last couple weeks in particular, I've heard a lot of the word unchurched floating around. I don't know if y'all saw a couple weeks ago, uh, but we were in an article uh, at The Resident talking about Easter renewal for churches. And one of the churches, right at the beginning of the article, says, well, you know, there's just a lot of unchurched people out there. I'll be honest with you, it, it has always struck an odd chord with me that that is like the lead thought. Because it's often coupled with action that leads primarily to just getting people into church, right? It's just hey, we've got a lot of people out there who aren't going to go to church. It's our job to haul them in. But it seems to miss asking the question, why? Why do folks walk away? And I think the answer may in part lie somewhere between Simon Peter and Will Hunting. For many, the church became an unsafe place to be. The collective shields that we all put up to protect ourselves and the fears we present as truth become so damaging, the only place then is to go onto the boats and back to work again. And this has been something that I've heard over and over as I've continued to try to build relationships with folks throughout Jacksonville, especially folks that seem, even if they're not church folks, to have a similar vision to how they think the world should be as we do. We should care for folks. We should reach out. We should love them. We should be community first and not just be about ourselves. And especially the folks who I also know won't be caught ever in any sanctuary. What I hear without fail over and over again is that the church had hurt them deeply. And so once again, the church applies new labels to them and hands another cloak for them to wear, the unchurched apparently in need of some kind of rescuing. Now listen, that's nothing to say about the realities of those of us who have stayed within the church and still carry the pains of the past. Y'all, I'm convinced that the most angry people in the church the ones who will go to war over the plates and the silverware. Most of those folks 
are holding fears and hurt and perhaps tell themselves too often that their stories simply don't matter. And so they also put on layers, even as they meet Jesus, even as Jesus is calling from the shore. There's a need to toss layers and layers and layers on. But I wonder what a community of believers would look like if it heard more of attending to the heart and made it a place that was open. Perhaps to not feel the shame of circumstance and not be bound by all the stories that we tell ourselves. To hear Christ over and over again say to others that they and we are still called to the task we believed we were called to before things went sideways. I think... If that were to happen, it would be downright revolutionary. Which one part makes me excited and one part makes me sad to say that. Here's the thing, if, if Jesus can heal Simon Peter, who literally denied him three times as he was on his way to death, and if Jesus can work through Saul, who is actively killing people who were just beginning to be part of this new faith that was still nestled within Judaism, but was becoming something new, if Jesus can forgive and bring to life and call those folks, who are we to judge anybody when they come through our doors? I'm convinced that the future of the church hinges on the ability to hear that in spite of your fears, in spite of the shame that you might carry, the shame of it, it instead, uh, in spite of the stories that you've heard about yourself, that you are not good enough, that you are broken that you are unchurched. The folks hear that they're loved, that they have a purpose beyond what they've been told, and maybe the thing that sits in their hearts covered by layer and layer and layer of clothes to protect that vulnerability. Because the second you're told whether you tell it yourself or you hear it from somebody else that that part of your heart is not right, you will always cover it up. So friends, may it start with us. If you're scared, be scared. If you're angry, be angry. If you're grieving still what's happened over the last three or four years here, that's fine. I would love to hear you. 
I would love to sit with you. And I would love to tell you once again that in spite of what you've been told, in spite of what you feel, in spite of what the world is telling you, I would love to tell you that you are still loved. That you still have a calling to feed sheep. That in spite of whatever's happened before this time, you have a purpose that God has made you for. That's a church I want to be a part of. So let's start. Worst that's going to happen is you're going to hear me tell you that God loves you. I'm fairly convinced that most of the time we could use that every once in a while. Thanks be to God.